You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dirty Feet. Today we have a very interesting episode. Uh, we're welcoming two people who will be presenting at the AFTA Festival in Montreal this year. The festival is from May 27th to June 1st. And both um, artists are actually part of a triple feature, which will be presented on Saturday, May 31st at 8 p.m. at the Monument National. Uh, so first of, all, first of all, with us is Caroline Lorraine-Bocage, who will be performing Charcuterie. Uh, it's a new uh, creation that she that is actually part of uh, a trilogy, as she describes it. It's the second act of the trilogy. The first act was on Thai, which was presented at Tangente uh, earlier this year uh, as part of Double Bill with um, Amélie Rajot. We received Amélie Rajot on the episode at that moment. So, Caro, hi, how are you doing today? Good, thank you. So, uh, this this new creation, um, it's as you said, it's part. It's the second act in in this new trilogy that you've started recently. What can you say about the trilogy as a whole? This is something. This is a brand new project that you're that just started recently with Antai. What exactly can you say about the trilogy as a whole? I'm interested to. Uh to be searching uh, the, the relationship between the flesh and the soul. And I think it can be, um, by, by doing research on that, I started working with, chick with raw chicken. And um, in the process, I discovered different ways and approach to work with the raw chicken and so many images and... So many ways of uh, digging into that subject was coming up that I felt like I needed to uh, to do different uh, steps to uh, show different uh, aspect of that work and the different evocation of that what it could be and how we can be touch and how we can dig into that aspect. There's a missing step there for me between yeah. the, the flesh and the soul and where does the chicken come from? Um, I wanted to have a chirurgical uh, aspect in the work. So I wanted to uh, do the act of opening up. And it's where the chicken comes in because I'm not going to open up <laughs> a body on stage. <laughs> so... Yeah, so this is how I, uh, this is my way of evocating the the medical aspect. But medical, but at the same time, casual, because we all cook, not everybody, but, you know, we, it, it's it's in our history, like seeing someone cooking a chicken or uh, seeing your grandmother or it's, it's you know... It's part it, of the domestic experience. Of the, yeah, of the domestic experience, even if you're a vegetarian or you you saw that, you know, it's like it's part of our world. You go to the, the store, you see chicken. So it's something that is very close to us. But at the same time, I wanted to, to change to change how we can view the chicken and the chicken can be me. You know, it's like, why 
why do I have more importance than the chickens? Like it's a little bit like philosophical questions, but it's where it's it's where my intention is with the chicken. As part of Antai, one of the most striking images uh, for people who haven't seen it. Uh, at, right, right from the start, very early on, the, um, the two performers, you know, di uh, open up the chicken, prepare the chicken, and then hang it, hang it up on hooks, just like hooks hung from the ceiling, and you see the chickens just hanging there. And that's a very visceral image. That's a really gory image in some, in a way, but at some time with the lighting and everything, it gives it this uh, holy aspect almost uh, of seeing the, the chicken there bathed in light um when you thought about that image what exactly was the motivation between uh, be behind going to that that extent of just showing this raw flesh hanging from the ceiling i'm interested to play with images that are uh awkward awkward images and and make them beautiful it's 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 And it's for me the same thing as when you experience in life like a tragedy. In each tragedy, there's a moment of enlightenment somehow. So it's a little bit the same. It's what I'm looking at in the work. It's like, actually, at the beginning of the, the piece, we, we don't put the chicken apart. We only take the skin off the chicken. So it's almost like we take the f his flesh off And then we can see the inside, uh, the, the muscles of the chicken. So we only played with one image. And with charcuterie, I want to go forward with that. So how much can we take apart? And how can we reconstruct together, rebuild? Before, when you were talking about the different kind of layers of each of the, the sections in the trilogy, uh, I imagined it more uh, theoretical, and now I'm, I'm understanding that you mean literally that you're going to be taking this further. Yes. Uh, <laughs> is, is there also um, uh, a more philosophical layer that's being explored in this next work? I think the next one is really the taking apart of the, of the chicken and rebuilding it actually i'm just gonna say the task of the girls in charcuterie uh is to uh together they each have their own chicken and they're just gonna yeah peel up like put apart the chicken piece by piece and it's gonna take the time that it's gonna take and then after that they have to rebuild a chicken with one chicken with the two chicken So they're going to sew back together and they're going to rebuild something. So it's a little bit, um, the, the underneath, it's like when you're being taken apart, how do you rebuild yourself? And, you know, how does it affect you? And then the, girl, the, the two women are going to, you know, interact with each other in that rebuild. You know, they... They might tell a story about something like I'm still I'm still working on it, but there's there's something underneath about the human fragility, the fragility of of our body. Um, I don't know, like yeah, how how the body is 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 so much related, 
how our flesh is so much related to what we are, to our unicity, to our persona, to, you know, why when I go to the doctor and that, you know, I I have the idea of being having a surgery or being touched that I feel like it's it's me that he's touching. So this is the questions underneath the work. And I imagine you're also talking about falling apart and coming together in yes. an emotional Yeah, emotionally. Sense, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't want... You know, in my work, uh, that's what I'm realizing more and more I create. Like, I'm not interested to... Um, to, pr- to put on an emotion onto my work. What I want is to give clear task. And that something will resonate out of it and everybody will have his own experience. And I think by working with universal symbols, like a chicken, everybody have their own experience to that thing. So it's going to resonate differently. Even if I'm aiming for something, even if my path is to, is, is to work on a, a, a specific like body and soul aspect, Maybe someone will receive it completely differently, and it's okay. Like, I want that openness into the work. I don't want to, you know, bring on a, a tragedy or an emotional layer that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be, like, put out there. Like, this is what you guys have, have to feel by seeing the work can be received differently. Looking at the titles of uh a few of your former creations. Yeah. Uh, there was Hit and Fall, which was a duet with Martin Messier um, quite a few years ago that, that was pre- presented also at that time at DFTA. Then you did Soak. Um, then you did Antai and Now, um, Charcuterie. All of them have a very physical aspect in the names. Like Hit and Fall is very much about this physicality of the body. Soak, uh, you know, about the, the sponge-like quality. Um, Antai and Charcuterie, again, again, about the flesh, about the meat. Um, is this is this something that you find yourself always going back to this, the physicality, uh, the physicality of the flesh as part of a performance? Is this, do you feel that this is maybe the essence of what you're interested creatively? It could be. I think it's my unconscious that is always putting that forward. Like I'm not, I'm not consciously choosing that, but I think I'm a very f- physical dancer, and that experience might be, um, might be pushing me. Like I, th- I think the body is a very powerful tool, and I think I'm very intrigued and passionate about th- this tool and all the layers that compose that compose who we are and it's why I choose dance and not theater so probably it's like it's there in the background and it's always like coming up there's a there's an interesting shift that started with Antai and that's continuing with charcuterie basing this um, on my part from what I've seen before of your work as I mentioned, Hit and Fall and Soak, they were both very physical performances, very dense, in, you know, quote unquote. With Antai, there was more of a performative, like performance art almost element that started yeah. to seep in. And now with Chacuterie, from what you've described, it's much more task based. Yes. So you remove that set choreography aspect of it. Um, what brought you, what do, what do you feel brought you on this, this new path of, moving away from set choreography from very physical dancey moments 
into a bit more of a performance aspect? I think I've always been interested in performance as a visual arts performance. I've always been uh, very inspired by the by artists or um, so it, it was always there. But I think um, that that creation of charcuterie anti and the next one. Um, it's a very personal event that made me create that. And uh, that event, actually, I'm going to say what happened is that um, I think four years ago, yeah, I was really close to get a brain surgery. And I lost a part of my peripheral vision because I had bleeding in my brain. And I think I needed time to move away from that experience. But I wanted to use that experience to create something And I think the experience makes me um, go away from what I know. It's like what, how, what is the best way to um, to put that experience into a creation? So I'm not thinking of like, oh, I need to create movement, or I'm really um, digging from that experience and trying to see which composants are going to be the most relevant for me. And like I said, like working for the with the chicken for me was a big issue at the beginning because it's not something I want like in my head if I think like oh you're gonna do a creation like I don't want to work with a chicken <laughs> like really like I'm gonna do that but at the same time in my unconscious like it feels right from the experience that I lived it's exactly like I felt like I was a piece of meat and I didn't know what was happening with me so The chicken seems super relevant, so I'm trying to really go into that that line of uh, what the project needs, not what do my intellectual wants me to do, and what will uh, look nice and be um, look good in my in my process. It's like okay, that major event, like I want to put this into a more uh, a bigger reflection. And what do I need to put on stage to make this happen? So I think it's why I had that shift. Another constant I've seen from the work, well, I've seen from you, um, is this notion of duality and dichotomy. So the double on stage comes back very often. It's something that we saw in Hit and Fall. More the dichotomy there of the dancer and the musician, yeah. the man and the woman. Uh, clashing and coming together at the same time with Soak and with Antai there was more of a doubling in yep. Soak especially with the uh, with the black hoodie yep. and you were dancing in it with Brianna Lombardo in the first run uh, you both have a very similar physicality so there was this doubling effect very much present um, with Rachel Harris and Esther Rousseau-Morin in Antai. They have a different physicality, but they do have a bit of similarity at the same time. There was this mirror effect happening in a piece. Um, is this something that you feel... Is it Why exactly this, this duality and this dichotomy? Is, yeah. it, is it based on, on your past creating more solo work? Do you feel that this is, a, this is the natural evolution of doing a solo Uh, no, I think, um, you know, working with Rachel and Esther, it was a complete, um, 
I don't know, it just happened. It's Montreal Dance who put me with these two dance interprets. And, and as soon as I started working with them, it was like this meeting that I never had before where we, we understood each other really well. Like, um, they were connecting with my ideas. Like, like I said, I didn't have to move to create the work. I could just explain what I was looking for and they were completely willing to go forward with it. Um, and I know that I have this, um, obsession about similarity. So I, I think it's just part of one of my obsession, like what I found. And it's funny because in our, you know, in contemporary dance, we're often into uh, not dancing together, uh, not being rhythmical, not being. And sometimes I realize like, this is what I found the most powerful about dancing is people moving their body at the same time, at the same rhythm, in the same space. And I don't know, every time I go see a show and there's this moment of union, a meeting, I just find this like so powerful. It's like the most, the most graceful, like, you know, it's, it's, it's almost spiritual, that like moment. So I think this strikes me. And I'm kind of like intrigued to dig into that as most, uh, as much as the, the dichotomy of that interests me as much as the coming together and interests me too. And I, I think it's like, I don't, I don't want to pursue that, but it's coming up, it's coming back in the studio and I'm like, okay, it's there again. I'll keep working on it. How can I go farther into that? It's, you know, when something comes back to you, you just, you just ask yourself, okay, I need to push it more. And I push it more until I'm, but I'm, I'm at the step where I want to work with more dancers. You're going to need to do a piece with odd numbers. Yeah, that's for it. it. to work. Yeah. <laughs> One thing um, I wanted to bring up and then bring up, bring up yet was the fact that you're presenting this as part of the FTA and you were you were there at the, the early beginnings of the FTA. Can you tell us a bit about that experience when the FTA started, um, how you came along with the, the FTA, like how exactly you were involved and what the festival was like when it started? Um, I kind of got involved in the FTA because I got my brain, <laughs> my brain accident. <laughs> So I was off work. I was dancing at that time. So they put me on like one year, um, one year of non non dancing until I was seeing specialists. Then, so I kind of like I had time, and I was working in a on a theater show as a movement coach. And I kind of met Jasmine in a hallway, and she was like, "Oh, we're working on this project. Can you come and give us a hand?" They already did one year in theater and they wanted to introduce more dance. So she was uh, asking me to really, it, it really started like in her kitchen on the corner of the table, uh, talking about, you know, what was happening in the community, the needs, uh, where the artists were in, in their evolution, how uh, there's a, there was a certain part of artists that they, they were doing their work, but they, they felt like the festivals the big festivals weren't for them. And 
And then suddenly we, you know, she, Jasmine is really good to build team work. She's amazing for that, to bring like different people together. And suddenly we had a artistic committee and we started, uh, you know, talking about people and um, creative process and how we were working and the ecology in the milieu and wanting the theater and the dance to meet and the performance. And from that, yeah, we were all like volunteer work workers And for me, completely changed my way of working in the dance community. Like, I got involved in a way that I was never involved in. And, you know, I didn't, I wouldn't have created L'Organisme if I didn't do the OFTA because it showed me that with different, I don't know, when you have a team of people working towards the same idea, It could be very constructive, relevant, and I learned so much by, you know, seeing how the theater people were getting organized, their view, their idea. We had, like, big debates. Like, this was the fun part about that artistic committee at that time, is that we weren't agreeing with everything, and we had to, like, debate for weeks. And, you know, when you really liked some, like, an artist you had to think of like how you would manage to make that artist you know you would look on what that artist was working on and you had to really make your point into the ecology of the programmation and and from that after a certain point I started doing my own work a little bit more and I felt that you know we think At that time, we were thinking that the OFTA is made for generation to pass. Like, it's not a place where you you sit at the OFTA and you say, like, okay, I'm going to stay there for the next 20 years. Like, at one point, we felt like, okay, we're, we're becoming the old timers. Like, we need to leave the place to another generation. And now it's amazing because it's a whole new generation that is organizing the OFTA. And I think it needs to stay like this. And maybe in the artistic committee as well, you know, like it needs to be like in touch with what's happening here and now in in Montreal. You know, we the FT, the FTA is doing a, a super good job in representing what's happening in the world, and I think the FTA needs to be representing what's happening now in Montreal in the back alley. Well, this was Caroline Narembocage, uh, who came to talk to us about Charcuterie, which will be part of a triple feature on May 31st at 8 p.m. at the Monument National. And this will be, um, as we said, part of the OFTA Festival from May 27th to June 1st in Montreal. So, Caroline, thank you so much for coming on with us today. You're welcome. <laughs>
welcome back everyone. Now in studio with us is Andrew Tay, who you probably know for many, many of the different um, hats he puts on as choreographer, as performer, as artistic director for Wants and Needs Dance, for Short and Sweet, for Piss in the Pool, and so many other roles that he has taken on. And he is here now to speak about his latest uh, creative project called Monsters, Angels and Aliens or Not a Substitute for Spirituality. That's a tongue twister. Um, and this project will be presented as part of the AFTA Festival this year in Montreal. And it will be part of a trip, triple feature with the, a work by Donald Trepanier called Le Chantier des Coquilles and with Caroline Norin-Bocage, whom we've had in studio right before, who will, as, a, as we said, present her latest piece, uh, Charcuterie. So, Andrew, hi, how are you doing today? Good, how are you guys? Good, thanks. Um, so this, this latest work, um, in the notes you describe as a quote-unquote solo. So this is a piece that you'll be presenting, well, it's a solo, I guess, but Why exactly the quotes, unquotes, solo for this work that you're presenting? Yeah, I think I put the quotes just because I feel like uh, compared to traditional solo, it's not really just about watching me, the work. There's a lot of there's a lot of interaction with the public and the public is involved in the work as it's created. So I don't feel like it's a traditional kind of solo uh, That's why I put the quotes. <laughs> well, do you feel that using the term solo anyway uh, as a presentational aspect of the piece, do you feel that you're actually questioning even the notion of solos by doing a work like that where there is such uh, an intrinsic notion of uh, audience participation? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm challenging like solo as a, as a form necessarily, but I'm definitely kind of challenging the notion of a solo as something that if I'm a performer doing a solo that you just sit and you watch what I do and you take it. Um, so this is something that I'm definitely interested in, especially in regards to kind of um, the ideas of, of the work itself. Uh, When you're talking about engaging the audience, this, this pops out at me, the idea of uh creating conditions which permit the audience to engage in spiritual notions without directly making reference to spirituality in the work itself. Can you elaborate on that and give us a bit of a, an idea of where that goes? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty important to me because I think like uh, dealing, with, uh, dealing with ideas of spirituality, um, it can be tough, especially to like a contemporary audience. Or I've been doing a lot for queer performance festivals as well so engaging this idea with people who probably have like skeptical or rocky relationships with these kind of ideas um becomes interesting um so yeah i'm trying to get people to engage in ideas of of spirituality without ever directly saying this is about spirituality or this is about prayer or this is about meditation or the without like banging them over the head with that. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm using all kinds of different strategies um, during the work. Uh, there's a thinking practice at the beginning. That's probably the most clear example where I have five people from, from the public um, come and sit with me and we sit, sit and we think about different kinds of people. It's kind of a score. 
Um, and I, th- I think it brings to mind ideas of prayer and meditation and, and, uh, yeah, all of these kinds of notions without, I'm not, I don't want to say like manipulates or tricks people into thinking <laughs> about these ideas, but gets them to engage it, in it without having some kind of guard up. Um, and I think that's important for me. And it seems like too, you're, you're broadening the scope of what the spirituality is. You know, when you're talking about, um, believing there's life out in the universe other than us, like that being a form of spirituality mm-hmm. as well. And kind of, yeah, I'm definitely questioning how we engage with spirituality and what spirituality actually is today, because I feel like there's so, and this is a troubling question and I, I want it to kind of remain a, a problematic kind of, kind of question. Um, because I'm thinking about like, uh, even going to a performance itself, can be looked at as a spiritual experience. I mean, if people, a lot of people, when they go and see like their favorite band perform or something, and there's this like kind of engagement or like, um, back and forth call and response, this, this kind of thing gives them this kind of spiritual experience that they probably, um, don't get from church or they probably don't go to church anymore (laughs) you know what i mean so i'm questioning these things and also the rise of like pop culture spiritualities like books like the secret um and these self-help kind of things that become almost spiritual um texts for people and as part of your research did you delve into those pop culture like pop spirituality books and you know there's a bunch of different type of media that can that they can be on even shows like oprah to some extent for some people can be a spiritual experience for sure did you plunge yourself into something like that in order to do some research and if so how was that i mean i it's it's a really funny answer no (laughs) i mean a little bit i definitely like i've never read the secret that's a shame. <laughs> it changed my life. Really? Yeah. It has changed. A lot. But the, 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 the interesting thing for me is it has changed a lot of people's lives. And, but for me, there's also something in what I'm working on in this. It, it's like a questioning of superficiality as well. Um, so I didn't want to get into doing too much crazy research on all kinds of levels in terms of like these pop culture spiritualities. I mean, I looked at really quick things on the internet. It was this kind of really cheap kind of research. Um, and also with rituals and stuff like that, I didn't go into crazy research about like what kind of rituals happen. I kind of wanted to keep it pretty superficial. And then by presenting that and it's still becoming something maybe deeper or something spiritual that creating another kind of question or problem within the work itself. Mm-hmm. When talking about a, a subject such as spirituality rather than religion, which is very much uh, a fundamental notion in Western culture, you know, you're going to think about religion, you're going to think about uh, Judaism and Christianity mostly for Western cultures. But when you talk about spirituality as a wider thing, as a wider umbrella, um, something that comes up quite often will be uh, Western tendencies to appropriate elements of cultures, especially like in the 60s, 70s, you saw a lot of that happening with Hinduism and Buddhism. And, you know, it sort of goes back to that same notion of skimming the surface of something, of really just appropriating something without understanding the deeper elements. 
is this is this notion of appropriation something that you were conscious of when creating the piece or that you know you you bring the audience to to a certain level of realization in the work it's not like a political agenda of the work to make people aware of this for sure but i definitely think that um that i'm thinking about these ideas i mean Um, I'm always more thinking of them about them more in the terms of like the popular culture and the more modern society kind of kind of context. And uh, for sure, I think like the rise too of like yoga practices and Pilates practices that become it's so commercialized. But at the same time, people think of it as part of a spiritual practice in some way. This is another problem that I think is well, another question that I'm that I'm having and I think it appears in the work a little bit. I'm I'm picturing ritual is also expanding in its definition in this in this context and I'm wondering where ritual differs from habit or something like that in your in your opinion. Mhm. That's a good question. I think that's like <laughs> I think that's an interesting question. Um yeah. I really don't have an answer for that. And I kind of think that's also in the work and also kind of important to think about. And this work is something that has been presented in the past. Yes. I mean, it has, I've been, I've been working on it. Uh, some elements I worked on at a residency I did at Usin say, um, I think it was in 2012 and then at a residency in Hamburg. So I've been developing some of the ideas and then, uh, And then I performed a kind of rough version of it um, in Toronto last year at the Rhubarb Festival at Buddies and Bad Times. Um, but it's a way different version of the work that's being presented at the Oftea. Because in Toronto, it was in a, this cabaret setting. The work was very kind of cabaret. And, uh, and it worked really well. Um, but I kind of wanted to... Uh, For me, I wanted to remove some of these cabaret elements um, in the performance that I'm going to do for, for this version of the Oftea and, and see what happens. Um, the element you talked about earlier about bringing audience uh, members on the stage with you in the performance space and thinking about people who are also either there or not there. Uh, that's something that you did at the last Piss in the Pool in a format that was very convivial and very, I mean, let's face it, Piss in the Pool is not a traditional performance space as we often think about. Uh, in a way, it's also incestuous a bit because there's a lot of people of the milieu of the community who know each other. For a show like the FTA, where that, that element will not be there as much, um, is this something that you approach differently, that, that notion of, of thinking and of connecting on a, a, mental, uh, on a mental aspect in a way? In, a, in this new performance situation? I think for that thinking practice, I, I'm trying to approach it from the same way, even though the context is changing. I mean, I have performed it in many different kinds of contexts, in, in a theater, in, in, um, in studios. When I'm in other cities, I've, I've been doing it quite a bit um, when I'm doing residencies abroad. Um, and I feel like... Uh, What's more important for me is to keep the kind of tone, this kind of comfortable, casual tone at the beginning. And I think this can be achieved, hopefully, in any space by the way that it's performed and by the kind of care that I take with the people at the beginning of the piece 
at the beginning of this practice, this thinking practice. And I think this carries over throughout the rest of the piece. Um, so for sure, it's more of a challenge and like a space where maybe I don't know everyone. And I, the it's more formal. Although I, I, I'm feeling that this the space for the, the show at the FTA is not going to be super, super formal. Um, but it's a challenge and that's like part of the work. And I think that's fun for me to try to do to kind of keep this casual. One thing that we see more and more um, is, is discussions, especially with works that can be a bit more challenging for the audience. Uh, a lot of people seem to feel that they need to explain their ideas afterwards. Um, is this something that, that will be part of your work, this this discussion with the audience so that you, they can be a bit more on uh, the same level as the creator of the work? Is that something that you want to bring in or you would rather just trust your audience and let them absorb what they want? I'm more on the side of like giving the audience credit to let them take whatever they want from the work. I mean, for me, this work is like very, I want it to have multiple, um, multiple things that can be received. So yes, I mean, obviously for my press release and for talking to you guys, we're talking a lot about spirituality. Um, but whatever people receive from, from the outside, I think is really interesting and really important to keep it open. I mean, I've done a lot of work, especially when I'm doing these cabaret performances where I kind of frame it so that people understand or have this frame they see it through or afterwards I talk about it and then they make some kind of connection and this kind of resolves something for them. But I'm not really interested so much in this resolution. I'm more interested even if people walk away troubled <laughs> by their questions. <laughs> that to me is more interesting than people being like, oh yeah, I got it or I understood what he's trying to get at. You also mentioned um, in, in your writing about the work, uh, the, the notion of kitsch as being part of the, the ritual as, ritualistic aspect of the performance. And quite often when we see kitsch being used, especially in Montreal, there's something that the Montreal scene does quite a bit of using kitsch as a bit of a, not a mask, but a bit of something to protect the, the the creators and quite often just again goes on the surface stays very much on the surface without exploring and think deeper to to what kitsch can represent mm -hmm. um what is your approach to the notion of kitsch in this ritualistic experience that you're creating well for me it kind of relates to what we were talking about before about again about the pop culture um philosophy that's coming out or the rise of yoga and Pilates as spiritual practice, but people who are doing them for on a very kind of commercial level. So for me, a lot of the work I'm taking like really cheap found objects um, and trying to transform them into things that either have like mystical or spiritual kind of power or representation um, within what I'm doing. And also kind of kitsch or cheap movements as well for example like a robot breakdance but trying to make this important Im important give it value and then also once it has value to, t to take that value away really quickly um so yeah to kind of like make these cheap things sacred and then make sacred things profane cheap. Hmm. i don't know about profane superficial and that's like a question that i'm having and how to do that and then yeah 
what that says that we can so easily do that today. And you've mentioned the the work as not having a political agenda per se. Uh, then with with notions like this of imbuing something with value and removing it afterwards, the same could be said, I guess, to the audience relationship also. How do you stay away from judgment in this kind of performance, in this kind of creative aspect to the work? Um, judgment in performing the while I'm performing the work or judgment in terms of the, uh, the goal both. of what both. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the line's not that far, I feel, between the two because it's, no, it's a, a notion of approach to I, how you do things. I think it's really hard work to not have judgment. I'll, I mean, in Toronto, I, 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 when I presented the first version, I was really went in with this idea that I would have no judgment while I'm performing it and that I'm doing specific things and these specific things read whatever to the public and the public reacts whatever way each time. And, and, um, and I was like, mentally, I said, I was, this is fine. And then as I kept performing the work, I did five performances of it. I think I got used to a certain kind of reaction um certain kind of effects that were being created and it wasn't what i was necessarily wanted to work on so i got comfortable in that and then for one performance i didn't get those and those it totally threw me off and made me confused even though it was something that i really told myself that i wasn't going to be working on or so yeah i don't know what i'm trying to say with that but it's like <laughs> it's a It's something that I'm consciously trying not to do is judge or, or, yeah, during the performance and also not put judgment on things in the materiality of the work itself. So you've mentioned the, the presentation in Toronto. Uh, it's been presented in front of uh, a, few, a few queer audiences. Um, what kind of energy do you feel it will differ in front of more queer audiences, quote-unquote, compared to a bit more of a mainstream scene? Do you feel that the approach, the thematic, the sense of humor will be different? Do you need to approach differently when it is in this kind of context, such as Buddies and Bad Times? I don't think that, I don't think that um, in terms of the work that I'm doing, that I, I, I need to approach it different. I mean, I think uh, there's things to think about when presenting to these more specific um, types of audiences. But in the end, I think that the difference between a queer audience and a contemporary art audience is pretty minimal. <laughs> I mean, like, also, if I even think about queer performance and regular performance, if I go to any dance festival, 80% of the work is performed by queer artists and made by queer artists, and it's not dubbed as a queer festival. So, I mean, I'm questioning these things and these labels. <laughs> yeah. You you're having a bit of a big uh, period at the moment. You've been traveling a bit for residencies. Uh there's another short and sweet that's coming up soon, another piston pull in the summer. What's next after this for Andrew as choreographer as performer? Uh well, I can talk about a few things. We're doing short and sweet um as part of of the FTA on June 5th. Um and it's a free show and we have a pretty interesting concept i think it's going to be really fun we're calling it the covers edition so we're asking artists to cover another artist's work 
and it can be work from any discipline. So like a performance artist can cover a visual artist's work or a song or, or whatever they want want to cover. And we're also trying to get artists to question the notion of what a cover is or can be. So we're looking to see works that like critique another artwork through performance that take ideas from work and then make something else from it. Um, you know, remixes, all of this kind of stuff we're hoping to see. I think it's going to be really fun. Um, and about Piss in the Pool this year, I think we're actually, it's really sad, but I think we're actually not going to be doing Piss in the Pool this year. It was going to be our 10-year anniversary, but unfortunately the venue is under construction. And for our 10-year, we were kind of hoping to be in the venue. Um, so we're, we're thinking about what we're going to do, but uh, unfortunately right now it, it, we might be taking a break for this year from pissing the pool, but it will definitely be back next year. Um, and after that, I mean, I'm also, I'm working a lot with a choreographer from Vienna right now. Um, Doris Ulich, um, performing in this work called more than naked. And it's a really interesting project. It's 20, 20 artists from all over the world. And, uh, she's questioning nudity and why use nudity and in, in performance in 2014, so to remove nudity from context of like uh, sexuality, vulnerability, to to try to remove it from that and to use it as materiality, um, and uh, it's a really fun project. We're showing it around a lot, and I'm trying to get it to come to Montreal. So, so Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show today to talk to us about monsters, angels, and aliens are not a substitute for spirituality. Uh, this will be part, <laughs> you know, it's, it takes a moment to catch, and get, catch your breath after. Um, so this will be part of the FTA. The, the festival is running from May 27th to June 1st, and this will be part of a triple feature with Donald Trépanier and Caroline Laurent-Bocage. So thank you so much for coming on today, Andrew. Thank you so much, you guys.
So that wraps up the uh, the formal interview portion of the podcast today. I did want to take a moment and uh, and talk a bit about some other stuff that's going on in the Dirty Feet universe. Um, in particular, we're, we have a follow-up to a previous episode uh, just a couple weeks ago when we were speaking about Réaction en Chêne. That was the uh, 76th episode of ours. It's a project started by some UCAM uh, students that was a, a website, a collaborative um, artistic kind of project. And I'm going to have JD take over from here because he actually participated in a little, uh, would you call it a residency or a workshop with them? Well, it was a residency that they had gotten um, with Flagard La Danse. So it was in the small studio of Flagard La Danse. And um, basically... The the um, the reaction machine team had access to that room for the whole week, and they were offering spots for people who were interested in creating for the web platform, um, either videos or photos. And um, throughout the week, people were like had a possibility of uploading it. And for people who might have missed the episode, basically, reaction machine is this web platform where. They create links, they create chains of creation where someone creates something, puts it on a website and people are, have the possibility of offering a reaction to it. So basically creating new links in the chain. And so basically someone can just post a picture and someone will create a reaction to it where it would be a, a video that would be influenced or uh, based off of the, the picture that was posted or it could, it could be the other way around, uh, someone doing a video and then someone creating pictures based on that. And what was really fun about the experience, in my case, um, I was supposed to do it with Steph, our co-host, who had to drop out because of uh, scheduling conflicts. So I ended up doing it with Karine Théoré, who came on the show with us to discuss it. And it was really interesting because I don't know Karine that much personally. Uh, we've talked before, but it was the first time that we had to come up with something together and that we had to create something. So we're thrown in the fold like that uh, with inspirations that we could base ourselves off of. And we had to... to um, two moments together in the studio to create something based off of uh, the, the rock chain that was created already by a bunch of people. And it was really interesting because we had to work with what we had before, but still give it our own twist. And, and that's a difficult thing I found uh, of creating something that is linked enough to be, you know, uh, to respect the spirit of the project while not following too much what's been done. And this was one of the biggest challenges I found out. It was really interesting. Um, I'll be editing the video and posting it eventually. I'll be sure to let people know when it's up, but that's really stressful. Doing the, the editing part is uh, it's kind of scary. <laughs> The other piece of Dirty Feet news that we have for you is about the Montreal Fringe Festival. At the end of last week's episode, we spoke with Amy Blackmore about the festival and the dance programming that we can expect to see there this June. Uh, leading up to June, we've actually launched 
a contest so that you can win a super pass. What the super pass does is it gets you into hundreds of different shows for free, and uh, which includes, of course, the the eight dance shows that we referred to last week. It's worth about two hundred and fifty dollars. It's an incredible value. Uh, the festival runs for almost the whole month of June. You have lots of time to see lots of shows, and uh, winning is pretty easy. We're launching questions every once in a while so you have to keep checking our facebook page so you just go to facebook.com slash dirty feet podcast and there you can answer the questions by sending us a personal message so you get to keep your uh, your answer a secret and then uh, every right answer that you submit means that you get your name in a draw and that the winners of that draw the winner of that draw will be given a super pass to the Fringe Festival here in Montreal for the year 2014. So it's an amazing prize and it's real simple to win. Go ahead and, uh, and check it out on our Facebook page. Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theatre. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet est produit et animé par... Produced and hosted by Alison Burns... J.D. Papillon... et Stéphanie Moret-Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com, follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet, and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes à notre podcast. Listen to past episodes on website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.